0: Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5, if you would, please. I've been intrigued and, and really invested in the process of changing from a South Texas culture to a Southeast Texas culture. And if you don't know, uh, Teresa and I moved here in July, July the 1st uh, to be exact. And uh, we came from the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, way down in the very tip of Texas near Brownsville, and I knew that there would be some transition for us, and I wasn't really sure exactly what that transition would be. And so I've tried to put some tools in place to help me uh, to get my finger on the pulse of Southeast Texas culture and who the people are here. And uh, I find that I have that effect on a lot of people. And uh, so um trying to be careful about how i transition in and so you know that's not that easy to do if you haven't moved in a while you maybe not really sure what all is involved in making a change like that so i've looked for tools and i found a great tool that's helped me tie in to who we are in southeast texas that tool goes by the name country music because I'm finding that some of the things that were popular in country music in South Texas are off the obviously popular in country music in Southeast Texas. And so I'm going to take you to one of my social psychologists from country music. Her name is Carrie Underwood. And here's what she teaches me about Southeast Texas culture. Right now, he's probably slow dancing with a bleached blonde tramp And she's, well, I won't finish that line. Right now, he's probably buying her some fruity little drink because she can't shoot whiskey. Don't act like you don't know what that means either. Right now, he's probably up behind her with a pull stick showing her how to shoot a combo. And he don't know that I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. Carved my name into his leather seats. <laughs> this is my favorite. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights, slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. Now, I know some of you are acting like you never heard that song before, but I know... Because I've driven down the road and seen some of you singing it. on. The... <laughs> now here's why I use that to start with. What that song reveals, and by the way, that I don't know if it was a number one or not, but uh, Carrie Underwood seems to have her finger on the pulse of American society enough that she's had a few number ones. What it tells us is that there is that deep, part of many of us, maybe not that deep, who love the idea of revenge. You know, you don't have to be in Afghanistan to find a war zone. The fact of the matter is that anger and revenge permeates our culture today. Where do you find turmoil? Well, I find it in relationships. I find it in people's finances. I find it in their spiritual lives. I, I find the evidence of turmoil all over the place. And so the bottom line answer is where you find people, you're going to find turmoil. I find that intriguing When as a people, the gathered people of God today, knowing that in a month's time, we're going to be singing songs that celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, who we will refer to, as Scripture does, the Prince of Peace. Why is it that so many lives, and I'm going to pull this down just a little bit to make sure that we know we're talking about ourselves here today, why is it that so many Christian lives are marked by turmoil when Jesus himself is known as the Prince of Peace? That's a valid question. It's one of those questions we don't like to ask ourselves because it really calls us into accountability immediately. The Christians are not exempt from this Turmoil stuff I'm talking about. And as a matter of fact, there's a better than average chance that many Christians are leading the way when it comes to turmoil. So when we come to our study of the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, Congratulations to those people who are marked by these conditions. Essentially what Jesus is doing as he introduces the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, he's saying, when you are my follower, when you walk in the Christ way, you will be marked by these things. And then he talks, well, as we've seen the last three weeks, he talks about mercy and living in a life that is giving of mercy. And then he talks about being pure of heart, not Double-minded, not double-hearted, not two-faced, not double-tongued. What you see is what you get with these people. And so now Jesus turns and he starts talking about... Well, let's just read it, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, when I want to take you back, and in case you're not aware of it, on Sunday nights, we're doing Bible study at 6 o'clock over in our Family Life Center. It's interactive in the way I'm designing that because one of the things that I want to do, always want to do, is not just stand up and preach at you, but to also hand you tools that will help you in your own personal daily walk with God so that as you go through each day, your life is vibrant and not just kind of churchy. And so what we have done in those Sunday night services, among other things, I've tried to help us come to Scripture when we read a passage like this and understand that there were real people who were on a hillside with Jesus when they were gathered up there and he sat down and started to teach them. They really heard these exact words and when they heard these exact words, they immediately had points of contact in their own thinking about what Jesus was saying. Now, the the challenge for us is to go from what he said then and what he meant to them and how they heard it to today and how it impacts our lives. So let me, as we start off, let's go back to that hillside, first century Palestine, on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus pulls a handful and actually more than just a handful of his followers together and he sits down and he opens his mouth and he says, Blessed, and then he just starts working through these beatitudes. And this particular, blessed are the peacemakers. Congratulations to the peacemakers. What would they have heard? Remember that that first century set of Jewish people, common people for the most part who were gathered there, eking out a living, very difficult living. When they hear the word peacemaker, among other things, one of the things that their mind must have jumped to was the Roman occupation of their homeland. Everywhere they looked were Roman soldiers who were there charged with keeping the peace. We find evidence of this all through the New Testament. I won't take the time to justify that statement. We just find that the the Roman conquering armies had gone in and they were occupying that place. Now, they gave the Jews a lot of freedom as long as they kind of kept the peace. But the moment there was an uprising, the Roman soldiers would sweep in and with brute force enforce the peace. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, those first century Jewish listeners would have jumped to those Roman soldiers and thought, aha, that's what he's talking about. But we have found through Scripture, excuse me, through history, and even through Scripture for that matter, that when you have to force peace, you leave the door open for turmoil. I know that from my study of church history. Before I moved here, I finished reading a biography. It was a tome. It was about this thick. and uh, It was a biography of a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor in Germany during the upswing of Hitler and the Nazis before World War II. Now, one of the things that many people don't know about that time period is that when that movement came on, one of the things that Hitler and his Socialist Party did was to infiltrate the church and to co-opt the church into their movement. And so they stepped in and under the guise of acceptable religion, they started kind of pushing their way and their agenda came through all of that, except for a handful of guys, one of whom was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And even though Hitler and his guys were enforcing the peace in Germany what was becoming Nazi Germany and they were doing that by killing people and imprisoning people they were enforcing a peace there was still this undercurrent of rebellion and Bonhoeffer was one of the key leaders of that movement a Christian Lutheran pastor who was involved before it was all said and done in the plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler why is that? because you can't force peace inside Let me stop there for just a second. The Roman soldiers, first century, a forced peace. But it wasn't peace at all. There was that group of people in that first century group called zealots. They were zealous for Jewish independence. And by A.D. 70, they assert their way until finally the Roman forces come in and just wipe them out. The destruction of the temple as part of that. Enforced peace is no peace at all. Really? And yet, having said that, I take that and pull it right into the church of our day. And today, churches are full of people who have tried to force peace. And in their minds, they have determined that the way for us to get by here is, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, okay, I'm going to be at peace. And they use all kinds of churchianity to try to make that happen. Rules and regulations, internal pressures, but there is no peace. You see, for many people, maybe even in this room, certainly in rooms like this across America today, churches are full of people who look like they're at peace, but just below the surface, there is a turmoil of a Category 5 hurricane. And they can't even listen to sermons because their minds are doing battle with finances, relationships, and all kinds of things. Below the surface, there is unpeace. You want a good example of that, not just in the churches, but in American society? Consider over the last 25 years the number of school shootings that America has witnessed. What makes two young men in a Colorado school make a decision that they're going to go in and systematically eliminate people? What makes a kid do that? What makes a kid on a Virginia Tech campus go in what appears to be in a very haphazard way, just go through and shoot people? What makes people, like I was sharing with a Sunday school class this morning, some of my friends from years ago, pull into a parking lot and take a shotgun and put it in their mouth and pull the trigger. What makes people do that? Unpeace. There is a turmoil that is killing us from the inside. Oh, yeah, we have all kinds of mechanisms for peace around us. But just because you try to force it doesn't mean you get it. Literally, this word that Jesus uses, when you translate it, can be translated as the peace doers. Peacemakers is a good translation, but it equally could be translated peace doers. So to keep that in mind as we move forward here. Those people on that hillside would have heard Jesus. Now, by the way, they weren't marked by peace either. As I said, they're trying to eke out a living. They're trying to make ends meet somehow in a society that was just hard living. So these words of Jesus, the peace doers, kind of hang over them and us like a cloud. And we we hear it and it registers, but it's kind of distant from our Experience. And so let's take another look here. Not only would they have thought it from the Roman soldiers who enforced the peace, they also were Jewish people, and so they would have gone to their own background. The word here is borrowed, if you will, it's pulled over and it has the connotation as we look at the Old Testament translation in Greek. We find that there is a Hebrew word that also is translated with this Greek word looking backwards. It's the word that many of us will recognize. It's the word shalom now we 've heard that, and our tendency is to hear that word and say, "Well, that means peace. Many of you will know that when my in my correspondence if i 'm writing you an email or a letter or something usually i 'll sign it at the end Shalom mark Now, I do that intentionally, not to be cute. let, let me tell you why I use that term. those first century Jewish Listeners to Jesus would have gone to their Jewish roots, heard this word, pulled it into the shalom part of it, and said, oh, now, wait a minute, that's not an enforced peace, that's something totally different. The word shalom actually means to be complete, to be fulfilled. Peace is a byproduct of shalom, but shalom means much more than just peace. It means that all of the conditions of life are as they should be so that you can settle into life and all is good. Case in point. Let me just lay this out. Happened at my house this morning. I'm such a wonderful husband. My wife experiences shalom on a... She's complete. Everything's wonderful. Well, actually, I forgot a word in there. My wife's dog is experiencing shalom. Teresa has this dog. Now, whether one of you dumped it in our neighborhood or not, I don't know. Okay? But we inherited a dog who adopted us. Okay, And I've told you about this dog. Now, she's named this dog. The name is Pixie. I have to tell you, I feel like I have to surrender my man card every time I just say Pixie. This, it's not a very masculine-sounding name, I know. All right, But she named this dog Pixie because she's a pixie. She she's weighs about three pounds. And uh, she stands probably five inches tall, maybe not even that, probably six or eight inches long. She's just hardly there, okay? I don't go around kicking dogs, but I could kick her to the street from my front door if I needed to. She's little. She is a small dog. Pixie is perfect for her. She's ugly with a capital U. She's ugly. Okay, Teresa says she's so ugly, she's cute. I'll leave that up to you, okay? Cute, pixie, I don't like saying those words in the same sentence, all right? So, here's the deal with pixie. She's been at our house since, we, we'd been here about six weeks and somebody dumped her or she came running through, whatever. Uh, brought the fleas all from Walton Road all to our house. And so, Teresa cleaned her up and she adopted us and you know we've taken her to the vet and so now the vet's driving a Lamborghini because we took her in and... Uh, so so Pixie is part of our family now. Well, this morning I woke up. Okay, by the way, one of those differences between Rio Grande Valley and Southeast Texas is cold here. Cold, all right? We've already had colder weather here this winter, fall, than we had in the winters the last two years in Edinburgh, okay? It gets colder. You didn't tell me that. You kept saying, nah, just, we don't hardly have any, it's cold here, okay? We woke up this morning, I was cold. What that means is, I figured out yesterday if you think it's going to be cold, you better do something with the thermostat in the evenings. Don't wait till the morning. I woke up this morning, it's cold in my house, okay? Which means when I got up and started walking outside of my room, Pixie wakes up from her. Now, see, you have to know, Teresa bought for her in Huntsville at Fair on the Square. She bought her this pocket, okay? It's a, like a little blanket that's a pocket. Alright, it's about this tall, about that wide, and Pixie crawls in it on her own. And she snuggles up in the corner, gets down, and you can't even see her, okay? You can just grab it and swing her around and whatever you want to (laughs) do. Not that I've ever done that or anything like that, but... If you're with the SPCA, don't bother, okay? So, Pixie's down, snuggled into that little pocket thing of hers. And so when I get up, because Teresa I wanted to let her sleep a little bit later, I took the dog because dogs need to go outside in the morning if they're inside dogs. And so I took her, and that gets me to where I wanted to go. I put, picked her up, took her outside, put her down, in, I mean, not outside, but outside of the room, into the living room, put her down, and I went to the back door. She came running out of her little bed thing because she thought I was going to feed her. Wrong. And so... As I go to the door, I open the door and I say, come on, let's go outside. She took two steps towards the door, stopped and looked at it and went ran back and got into her deal, okay? But I wasn't born yesterday. She needs to go outside. So I reached in and I grabbed her and I opened the door and I walked outside with her. (laughs) Now, I want you to know, this dog this dog was living outside before she came to our house so i know she's been outside before but you'd have thought i insulted her by taking her outside she sat down she looked at me and that lasted about five seconds and she hooked it ran to the back door if she had thumbs she would have opened them if she'd have been tall enough okay so i went i let her back in she runs towards her little pocket thing and then she stops By this time, I'm sitting down in my recliner, and she comes, and she tries to jump. She can't even jump up onto my chair, so I have to reach down and grab her. I pick her up, put her. There's a blanket there. She gets on the blanket, and she settles in. Life's good until I have to get up and go get ready to come to church, right? And so I go back in after I'm ready to go, and we're about to leave, and we walk into the living room, and there in my recliner with a blanket there is Little Pixie. And she's snuggled down into that blanket and all you can see are these big Yoda ears sticking out and her two big black eyes and she's peering over the top of the blanket shalomed. Life is good for Pixie. She's eaten breakfast by that time. She's warmed up by that time. She's comfortable All of her universe is in balance. That is the Hebrew word, shalom. Now let me just stop. Not that you need me to draw this connection, but I'll connect the dots for you. Does that describe you today? As you sit here in God's house, are you complete Lacking nothing, totally content in life? Or did you bring some garbage in here that keeps gnawing at you even as I speak? And it's the business deal that waits tomorrow, or the bill that was due three weeks ago that you can't pay, or the relationship that is falling apart. Are you marked by shalom today? You see, For us to take that word and reduce it to peace misses what it's all about. Peace is a byproduct of your life being in order. And by the way, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, that word peace is from the Old Testament. He is the one who brings that balance in life. Some of us are in here today, and I know and you know that your life is a wreck. Let me tell you something. That doesn't make you a bad person. It's not about being bad or good. It's about being outside of God and his will for your life. I told you, I I shared my uh, story, some of my story, with a uh, Sunday school class today. Let me tell you something. You you know, all of us need Christ. Not a single person in this room deserves Christ what God gives us. If you have any peace in your life, it's because God has given that to you. Life is ruthless on us. It takes its toll. If you're here today and you wandered in here, you're not even sure why you came to church. (laughs) I was at a meeting like that one time and God used that meeting to put somebody in my life that turned my life around. If that's you today, Say what, what you're hearing right now, not even my word. you're hearing the Holy Spirit say to you, I'll give you peace. I will straighten your life out. I have a life for you that will blow your ever-loving mind. And it's centered in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you haven't trusted Him as your Savior, You don't even know what kind of peace you can have. It'll blow your mind what he can do. The circumstances may not change, but you change in the middle of it because he's a specialist at life and peace. He'll make your life complete if you just trust him. Many of us trusted Christ for our salvation years ago, but we refused to trust him for peace. So we're marked by turmoil. A picture in my office, I think I mentioned this not too long ago in some context, maybe it was in here. A picture in my office from a satellite, maybe a space shuttle, I don't remember, of a hurricane looking down into it from space. A friend of mine gave that to me because we had counseled each other through some really tumultuous times. And in the midst of all of that, we both kept coming and helping each other get back to the center of the storm where it is peaceful and it defies everything around it. And that's where you find Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, blessed are the peace doers. So many Christians lack peace. One of the characteristics of a with-God life is peace. But you see, I've, I've actually not given you the whole picture of this verse. You look at it again. You see if you can figure out where I've not quite gotten to the heart of it yet. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You see, what I've been doing here is I've been talking to you about your Peace. And whether you have it or not. And how you can have it. But Jesus says congratulations to the ones not only who have it. That's implied in what he says. But he says congratulations to the ones who do peace. To the peacemakers. You see, it's not just about possessing this peace. That fits into our consumer-oriented Christianity in America, our Western values of Christianity. It's got to be good for me, and it's got to build me up, and that's how we sell it. But Jesus says, blessed are you because you're a peace-doer. You'll never do it or make it if you don't first have it. But be careful. That you recognize that when you have it, you have a responsibility to make it. (laughs) This is not just about what you get. It's about what you give. So let me just stop again and let's just bring it back. Do you have peace this morning? Is your life marked by peace with God, peace with your surroundings, peace in your relationships? Are you a peace person? And if you are, well, first of all, if you aren't, you can have that. And secondly, if you are, my next question to you is, are you spreading that? Have you noticed in churches that we... I mentioned this kind of already. Let me see if I can say it a different way that it will communicate. Every church I've been in has had a self-appointed secretary of war. You know what I mean by that? Every church that I've ever had a part in has had somebody, I don't know who it is in this church yet, but I'm looking Every church has had somebody who is a self-appointed secretary of war. If there's a crisis to be had, that's who you go to. I heard a pastor, actually he was an assistant pastor, he was my boss. I was a youth pastor in another church, another state, another time. And he said, we're talking about this one individual in the church. It happened to be a lady, it's not always a lady, okay? it happened to be in that church. And, and I was saying, man, I'm having this issue, and, I, you know, and he said, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. He said, Oh, yeah, she's always got a crisis. And he said, As a matter of fact, Mark, if you'll watch her over a period of time, you'll find that if there's not a crisis that she's involved in, she will create one because she thrives on crisis. Hello? In a church? In a church that is headed by the Prince of Peace. We have strife. We have contention. We have turmoil. Like I said when I started, wherever there's people, you're going to have turmoil. But let me just give you, make sure that we're on the same page here. Let's make sure that we understand what Scripture says about people like that. The division contentious, tumultuous, driven person. Titus chapter 3. Spencer's got this for us. Just look at this. Titus chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, this next verse, I could tell you stories about how God has used this in my life with other people. As for a person who stirs up division... Okay, this is the self-appointed secretary of war I was talking about. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him or her once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Do you hear those words? Scripturally... If somebody chooses to be a secretary of war in a church, the responsibility of the leadership is to go confront them with it. If they still refuse to deal with it, then you confront them again. And after that, you hold them at arm's length and you have nothing to do with them. Oh, I could tell you stories. Well, that's just not being very loving. That's being biblical. Tell you something. God has no cut with people who refuse peace. He'll let you live in your turmoil, and it'll kill you in the end. It is a personal insult to the Lord Jesus Christ to choose against peace. Because he died on a cross to make peace between you and a holy God and his family. Sometimes, now don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Peace doesn't mean pacifist. Sometimes the best way to get peace is to crack somebody between the eyes. In a godly way, of course. <laughs> well, let me move on because now it's getting quiet in here. So what's the promise? Congratulations to the peace doers. To the agents of Peace. Why? Because they, what does it say? Will be called sons of God. That's another idiom, a regional saying for these people that were listening to Jesus. To be known as the son of so-and-so means that you carry the characteristics of that person. In other words, you remind that person of who this other one is. Case in point. My son... Um, well, let me start with my dad. Oh, my goodness. My mom listens to these sermons. Maybe I should talk about your dad. Uh, growing up, I used to uh, sit in our living room and look across the room at my dad and his profile, okay? So I'm looking from an angle. And there is a particularly prominent feature on my dad. Uh, we call it, well, it, mom, don't tell dad I said this. Uh, nose, Okay? Actually, I first started doing this because my mom made comment about his nose. And so I started looking across the room and watching my dad's nose. And I kept thinking to myself, what does my nose look like? My nose doesn't look like it. my nose look like that? And then I started watching my son, my oldest son, and he has my dad's nose. And I was thinking, better him than me is what I was thinking, to be honest with you. <laughs> nah, not, not really, but sort of. And uh, so in dealing with this, I thought that boy could never claim not to be related to my dad and about the time i got really settled in with that and comfortable that you know i you know that gene skipped the generation my dad's name is gene by the way uh then my wife started pointing out the fact that i have these little bitty ears tiny ears she calls them and uh i'm not self-conscious about it or anything like that god took away all my covering for them so you can just see them so there it is um but I started looking at my kids saying, okay, which one of them gets my little bit of ears? Now, my point in all of that is that there are family traits that are just part of being part of the family, okay? Some people, it's their eyes. Some people, it's their mannerisms. People listen to me preach who knew my dad when he preached. They said, you sound just like your dad. And so my dad hits them, <laughs> uh, So, congratulations to the peace doers because they will be called just like God. You see, the family trait that we carry with the Prince of Peace is that we do peace. What does that say to churches all across America who are marked by division? I like the way one scholar put this word and how it all fits together. He said, Shalom, the peace here is like a circle. It's a perfect circle. And if you're in the middle of that circle, every relationship you have is equidistant from you. And so you tie it all together. He said, maybe a better way for us to get the message here is to say, blessed are the circle makers who put people in the middle of circles and draw all things into perfect balance in their lives, relationships and finances and all of those things that work us over. Congratulations to you, the peace doers, because this world marked by violence, who takes Louisville sluggers to headlights, sees God in you. What better compliment could you ever get than for somebody to say, you remind me of Jesus Christ. Tombstones are important things. You know what I want on my tombstone? He walked with God. I don't want it today, but I want it. I want people to look at me. I want people to look at you and see your life and say that's what God meant when he said Christian. Are you at peace? Do you have peace? Are you a peace doer? Let's pray. Lord, this is hard stuff. The fact of the matter is, many, most, maybe all of us have adopted a lifestyle that is marked by turmoil. And Father, if that's us today, remind us just how tiring that life is. Even the best soldiers have to rest. And yet these lives that we've created for ourselves are marked by fatigue, blood, even death. We need peace. Father, we need to pull together all of these teachings. Realize we can't create this on our own. You didn't tell us to go out and be peace doers. You said blessed are you when you are. We can't do that. That takes us right back to the beginning, that pouring in spirit to recognize, we, I, I can't do this, but I want you to do it in me. Father, my prayer is, first of all, for anybody who's here today who doesn't know you, and they don't have peace with you, that right now, your spirit would do a mighty work in their lives. They would respond by trusting you through Jesus Christ father do a work in us that we would be marked by peace that you can trust those people who are out in this community who are marked by trouble and turmoil you can trust to send them to us and that we would treat them with peace We are hurting people, Lord. I've been overwhelmed with the pain of this congregation over the last few weeks. Hard stuff. We pray that you would show yourself anew as the Prince of Peace who steps into this world of turmoil and brings life. We pray that you would do it today in Jesus' name.